0: Hey there, Susan Davis here inside the U.S. Capitol. Before we get to the show, we want to urge you again to try out the NPR One app. Stories from your local station, your favorite podcasts, international news, it's all there. This month, Pop Culture Happy Hour, an NPR podcast a lot like this one, but about movies, books, TV, and music. It'll be available on NPR One a day earlier than anywhere else. So check it out. Find NPR One on your app store now. Okay, here's the show.
1: It's the NPR Politics Podcast here with our wrap of the week's political news. We'll talk a bit about the results of Tuesday's primary in New York and preview the big primary contest next Tuesday. We'll talk about why 1237 might not be the magic number of delegates for the Republican candidates. And we will end the show, as always, with Can't Let It Go, where we all share something we just can't stop thinking about this week. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign.
2: I'm
0: Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. And I'm Sarah McCammon, campaign reporter.
1: And Sarah, you're in Georgia today. We should tell people, don't worry, there are no elections.
0: You're home to be with your family. That's right, hanging out with the family, but joining you guys today from the studios of Georgia Public Broadcasting in Savannah.
2: What does one eat in Savannah? Oh,
0: so much good food, good seafood. Mm. And we're not far from the ocean. There's, you know, what else do you need?
1: And uh, although we are not talking about ice cream on this episode we are talking about something of a southern tradition and a certain candidate who travels with hot sauce in her bag
2: swag oh yeah okay
1: (laughs) okay first up new york there's an episode behind this one in your feed wrapping up the results featuring Domenico and sam and scott detro um but what else do we know now in the light of two days later about what happened in new york
3: well clearly it was a good day for the front runners you had donald trump and hillary clinton Sweep New York. Uh, Hillary Clinton won by probably a bigger margin than her campaign had expected.
1: Oh, I can tell you it was by a bigger margin than (laughs) her campaign expected.
3: Uh, And Donald Trump, you know... sweeping almost all of the delegates in the state, 89 of that state's 95 delegates. And adding that to his total gets him more than two thirds of the way there to that magic number of 1237. Uh, And for Hillary Clinton, it was an important day. It could have been a turning point, frankly, in the race because it pushed Bernie Sanders' number of pledged delegates that he needs remaining to 60 percent.
0: And, you know, similarly for for Donald Trump, I mean, ahead of Tuesday, he and his campaign were talking big about maybe getting a sweep. But You know, afterward in talking with uh, some, you know, campaign advisors, they were pretty happy. They weren't sure that they were going to get all 95 delegates. They didn't quite get there, but I think they, they did better than they expected in reality.
1: What did they ultimately end up doing? Did Kasich win some? Did Cruz win any delegates? What happened?
3: Uh, Kasich actually is the only one to win any delegates of, of the rest of the candidates. Donald Trump wound up with 89. He might wind up with more. Ted Cruz did himself no favors in New York. The New York tabloid press you know, took all kinds of shots at him. And he wound up with zero delegates, a big goose egg for Ted Cruz. But John Kasich wound up with four delegates. Now he is mathematically eliminated, but he did wind up with some.
2: But those four delegates came from Manhattan, home of Trump. Pretty amazing.
1: That is, do you call it irony? Or is yep. that a
0: misuse of ironic?
2: All no. uses of ironic are actually misuses of the word ironic. That's not true. No one knows how to use that word right. But, right, but that doesn't mean all of them are wrong.
0: But I think that is ironic,
1: actually. <laughs> that is
2: ironic, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Don't you think?
1: No. I want to talk about one other thing, which is the the problems that people encountered while trying to vote in New York. Uh, there were a lot of people uh, purged from voter rolls. And then there was the broader issue of independence, not being able to vote in the party primaries unless they had changed their registration way back in October when one assumes some people weren't paying attention. Yeah, but
3: some 100,000 people were purged from the voter rolls in Brooklyn. And that became a flashpoint for especially the Bernie Sanders supporters who were saying that there could be something nefarious at stake. We should note that this is the kind of thing that happens in a lot of states where they try to look at people who have not voted in a while, they assume that they don't live in that place anymore, and they purge people from the rolls. People were allowed to cast provisional ballots, and then they could be verified later on. Um, you know, But it's the kind of thing where you know, it wouldn't be fair, let's say, you know, I grew up in Queens and if my name was still on in Queens and I could also vote here, that wouldn't make a lot of sense. So they they do this often but there were problems in New York just like we saw problems in Arizona and you know close elections are hard in this country it they make it really difficult and we know that new yorkers are having uh you know reflective conversation about how they're going to change things because there were even a lot of people complaining that they weren't able to vote because the registration was so far in advance that people couldn't just show up let's say and vote if they wanted to but it's also one of those things where new york and places at the back of the calendar just usually aren't the kind of, they don't don't get the kind of attention and they don't usually matter. So people don't pay attention to these rules as much as they do early on in places like Iowa and New Hampshire, where they've gone through some of these difficulties and they've tried to make it easier for people to vote.
0: And one difficulty is, you know, you can't just snap your fingers and change the system. I mean, we're talking about a lot of different systems that come together, right? To have an election, you've got the party, uh, you know, primary processes and those vary by state. And so, you know, there's not just one thing. The other thing I wanted to point out is that I met a couple of women at a Trump rally uh, in Buffalo this week who said they were registered Democrats, so they couldn't vote for Trump, but they were hoping to vote for him in the fall, hoping he's the Republican nominee. In the meantime, they were going to vote for Bernie Sanders because they are mad at the system. And people like that in New York couldn't switch parties. So who knows how it would have been different uh, if the system were different.
1: I want to pull back just a little bit to an idea that we've been talking about, which is that The conventional wisdom has been very wrong that this campaign has had this sort of whiplash of narratives like one week Donald Trump is on a roll and he is going to knock this thing out. And then the next week Ted Cruz wins Wisconsin. And it's like, oh, well, maybe Ted Cruz is going to prevent this from happening. Maybe the never Trumps are working. Um, And on the Democratic side, you have Bernie Sanders winning seven out of eight contests and he's on a roll and he's got momentum. And gosh, Hillary Clinton's got to be worried about New York. And then no, no. She won by 15 points. What is going on here? Is it, there...
2: It feels like this like tension between the idea of momentum and the reality of demographics. We know Sanders does well with white voters and working class voters. Clinton does well with minorities, with older voters. We know that Sanders does well in caucuses. Clinton does well in primaries. And it's like... This idea of momentum does not outweigh demographics.
3: I mean, one of the things we should consider here is that smart people use caveats, okay? (laughs) I mean, like, you should not be convinced of your own conventional wisdom. That's a really bad idea. And conventional wisdom generally is bad because it's groupthink. Everyone starts to think the same way, and then something happens that they didn't consider. So I always think if the CW, conventional wisdom, goes one way, you should really ask yourself, what are we missing? What are we getting wrong? What are we not considering? Because you can lay out the scenarios in either direction. It's totally true that New York was a big deal. And if Bernie Sanders had won, you would still hear this momentum continuing narrative. Now, Just because Hillary Clinton won, right, doesn't mean that that changed anything mathematically coming into that race. So you have to be able to use your own brain a little bit and ask yourself, what are we missing when this conventional wisdom comes forward?
0: Demographics are destiny.
2: There you go.
3: Momentum is is a
0: lie. Tam, I'm curious (laughs) if you have any, like, observations, though, about what happens, why there is this disconnect between the big rallies and the energy and the social media and the voting. I mean, there seems to be a disconnect there. There is. On the Democratic side.
1: You go to these rallies and it would be hard to believe that anyone could have as much energy and enthusiasm as Bernie Sanders has. And I've been asking Clinton supporters, why do you think it is that Bernie Sanders can have these huge rallies and Hillary Clinton is having these tiny events and Bernie Sanders supporters are dominating on social media and Hillary Clinton supporters are kind of quiet? And and one woman I talked to said, Yeah, you know, we just aren't as vocal about it.
2: And also, Sanders and Hillary Clinton have had different campaign strategies. Sanders has been going for these big campaign rallies. Hillary Clinton, her whole campaign has been about micro-targeting. So her events are smaller because they're all tailored to certain demographics in certain places. You saw her in New York. She did the event at the Apollo for African-American voters. She played dominoes, was it in the Bronx or Queens, with Dominican voters. She, you know, has the event in upstate New York with white upstate small business owners. Like, everything that she does is targeted so it's not going to be a large rally and sanders has been playing the game of having these big events that draw lots of local media attention to get his name wreck up right the candidates do this on purpose
3: they do they play to their strength and yes. hillary clinton has talked about that where she just knows that it's not her strength to hold these big rallies she doesn't excel in those kinds of big rallies and bernie sanders frankly doesn't excel one on one in the way that, she, yeah. that she's able to
1: Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Republicans, the number 1237
4: and next week's primaries. Support for NPR and the following message come from Personal Capital, the smart way to track and manage your net worth. See all your financial accounts in one place and get free online investing software and money management tools. You can even speak with a dedicated personal investment advisor. Join us today at personalcapital.com politics.
1: Okay, we are back. And there is one number on my mind, and that number is 1237, which I learned today from you, Domenico, may not actually be the magic number.
3: No, it is. It's the magic number. I mean, you have to get. It's the magic number-ish. Well, okay. So there's a but margin let's, of let's error. But let's explain there's that
1: 1237 mar- yeah, is th- the number everybody's been talking about the, as
3: the. 1237, which Donald Trump called a very random number, is not a very random number. It's a it majority. is a majority. Majority. It's <laughs> half of all of the delegates who are going to be voting on the floor at the national convention plus one. So that's the number that they've settled on for what you need to get on of votes on the floor to be the nominee, but. What we we're talking about is what? How many delegates does Trump need to go into the convention before the delegates on the floor say, "Yeah, let's give it to him"? So and there if are enough unpledged
2: delegates to do that, right?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, there's about 200 that go into the convention unpledged uh, from six states,
1: unbound, uh, unpledged.
3: Yeah, six states free. or territories they're they're free to go however they want for the most part you know there's so there's about 200 of them if you consider Wyoming Virgin Islands Colorado North Dakota American Samoa Guam and what happens with the 54 of 71 delegates in Pennsylvania. Those 54 are directly elected and unbound. So you got about 200 to play with. Plus you have what we call zombie delegates, these folks <laughs> who could come back. You know, Marco Rubio's got 171. There're about a, almost 200 uh, of the delegates that have been assigned to other candidates that might go on first ballot or they could be released, you know, if he makes a deal with Marco Rubio or something to be his vice president, those folks could could uh, you know, come back from the from the dead so to speak
2: and isn't it in the party's interest to get this thing settled first ballot yes right
1: how shy of 1237 do we think Trump I mean if he's at somewhere between that 1200 and
3: 1100 number depending how how far off you know if he's a couple hundred short You're going to have the argument from Ted Cruz and John Kasich that you should not give him the nomination. I think anything above, you know, 1150, you're looking at them saying that he should get it.
0: I think we also have to look at the differential between him and the next person down who appears likely to be Ted Cruz. What's the gap? You know, how far ahead is he? That's right. Um. You know, I think that that'll be, you know, if it's tight, if, if Ted Cruz manages, uh, he's got a tough hill to climb here. But if he manages to have a narrow margin between him and Trump and whenever some of the, the delegates that aren't bound, he has a better case to make. And, you know, he has been making that case a lot, that Trump's problem, that isn't the system's not unfair, that, that Trump should have learned the system and learned how to work it better. Speaking of Ted Cruz, one other thing that happened this week, um, Elizabeth
1: Warren, the Massachusetts senator and and progressive icon, idol, whatever you want to call it, uh, she uh, gotten something of an internet spat?
2: Yeah, let me set it up for you. So Cruz sent out an email this week, a fundraising email, basically saying, first line is, quote, you see, running for president of the United States is a significant sacrifice. He goes on to say that the constant attacks never stop, time with his family is non-existent, his health and sleep are, quote, limited, and personal time is just not possible. So Warren sees this, and her first tweet is, Yesterday, Ted Cruz sent a campaign email whining about the significant sacrifice he's made to run for president. She then goes on to excoriate Cruz, basically saying, Are you kidding me, Ted Cruz? We're supposed to pity you because trying to be the leader of the free world is hard? two words boo-hoo and then the (laughs) rant continues and she says you know whose health is hurt workers with no paid leave who can't stay home when sick or caring for kids and you won't support that for them ted cruz she said you know whose sleep is limited working parents who stay up worrying about getting kids to college without big debt and then she says ted cruz block college refi this goes on for tweets and tweets and tweets i feel like
1: he probably should have blocked her at some point
2: but also my question seeing this it's like Where are you, Warren? Every now and then you'll pop up on Twitter, but I feel like I don't see her anymore.
1: Elizabeth Warren's play, in my mind, she is the only Democratic woman in the Senate not to have endorsed Hillary Clinton, but she also hasn't endorsed Bernie Sanders. Which is significant. Which is significant. And I think that her role now is one of party
2: unifier, if she wants it. Is she more of an asset to the party in the Senate? Yes. Some folks are saying that.
1: I think she I think she is a strong asset to the party in the Senate. She can continue being a voice for the progressive causes that she has been a voice for, that it's a valuable thing in the Democratic Party.
3: Well, she makes the argument better than most Democrats do. I mean, most Democrats, you know, sometimes they've had a hard time, let's put it that way, fighting against Republican attacks on this stuff. And she doesn't care. She leans right into it.
1: Okay, so looking ahead. Tuesday, the 26th, we've got five primaries. I want to call it the Acela primary day. Whoa, Asella a- elitist, elitist,
2: not Acela. I ride the, you know, the regular. I've th- never or- ridden
0: the Acela. <laughs> okay, for everybody who d- who doesn't really know that much about the East Coast, raise his hand. What's the Acela, please? It's a fancy
2: Amtrak.
1: Yeah, so the, the train, the Amtrak that runs up and down the East Coast, for, like, a lot more money, you can get there thirty minutes faster and probably with foot rests or something. I haven't been on an Acela, but it's the train corridor that goes from Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, Rhode Island. And Pennsylvania.
3: Pennsylvania. Yep. So you've got uh, 384 delegates on the Democratic side at stake. Huge cache of delegates that day, uh, and 172 on the Republican side. For context on that, New York was 95. So this day is a little bit more for the Republicans and a little bit more for the Democrats. Uh, and it's a it's a big day. It could be a potential turning point, frankly.
1: So let's put our conventional wisdom out there. How are these things looking?
2: Demographics. You know, people are saying, oh, like a state like Maryland, full of black voters. You know, we kind of can project on that one, right? That's Hillary
1: Clinton country. Yeah.
2: It is difficult for Bernie Sanders, and if he's not able to pull off some of these
3: victories, and never mind some of these victories. He needs all of them, right? Well, at this point, He needs 60% of all remaining delegates, which doesn't even mean he has to win. It means he has to win with 60% in every single place going forward from here on out. That is an almost impossible hill to climb. And if he doesn't do it with that many delegates at stake that day, you're going to have a lot of people saying this race is over.
2: But so Team Sanders has said for a while now that they're going to stay in this campaign until the convention. What is going on with their whole strategy right now? Well, look, uh, first, for some context, Hillary Clinton
3: didn't drop out until early June yeah. in, in 2008. So there's a difference between dropping out and running a kind of campaign that seeks to damage the person that you're running against. And I think that the Clinton campaign obviously is OK with Bernie Sanders doing something of a victory tour and you know showing up in Oregon and California and all those places and having huge rallies and having people who would be Bernie Sanders voters and supporters show up and vote and him talk about the issues what they don't want to hear anymore about is wall street speeches and <laughs> transcripts
1: re- release the transcripts. Doing they, would, his, uh, they would love not to hear about it i don't think that that's an option they're going to hear about it whether bernie talks about it or not
3: yeah but i think that if she if he runs the kind of campaign that you've seen the last couple weeks you're going to see the clinton campaign um be really upset and really worried because her numbers have suffered because
2: of it
1: mm-hmm. um sarah i want to ask you Republicans are also voting on the twenty sixth Indeed, they are. And um, in the same states, <laughs> yes, in the very same states. what What should we be looking for?
0: I mean, right now, Trump is way ahead in the polls. You know, Ted Cruz has been saying he said after you know, after Trump's New York win that Manhattan has spoken, you know, again, sort of <laughs> deriding New York, which didn't work for him the first time. but, It hasn't stopped him from doing it again. You know, and he's saying Donald Trump wants to convince the media and everyone else that Pennsylvania is a suburb of Manhattan. The idea being that, you know, Trump is saying, well, I won New York, so I'm going to win these other states, too. But if you look at the polls... They bore out pretty well in New York. He's ahead in Pennsylvania by I, quite a lot and a lot of the other states. I can
3: tell you as a New Yorker, Pennsylvania is not a suburb of New York. <laughs> <There> <laughs> For are, the record. There are some people who do, like, commute from the Poconos or something, but it's like two hours away.
2: But <laughs> <And laughs> now we know. But,
1: but it's only an hour and a half on the Accela.
2: You said Accela. Well, Excella. there you go. I'm <laughs> oh,
1: sorry. Accela. <laughs> I don't know how you say it. I don't write it.
2: You're one of us. <laughs>
1: There you go. But but Sarah, our demographics destiny here. Is there are there going to be any surprises? Are we are we after Tuesday going to say, oh, my gosh, Donald Trump is on a roll
0: Uh, as, as I look at the polls? I mean, these are, again, you know, mostly northeastern states with largely white populations you know, there's not a huge number of evangelical Christians in these states. If if Ted Cruz can pick off some delegates or John Kasich, of course, uh, I mean, John Kasich might be better positioned if he were better positioned in this race at all. But if if you want to talk about the two candidates with the most delegates, you know, Trump looks poised to pick up a lot of a lot of delegates here.
3: Well, we should say that the primary electorate, though, on the Republican side is very white. And it's been white all across across the country. Those states themselves are, some of them are pretty diverse. And that's part of the problem that Republicans have tried to address to try to broaden out their coalition and it's just gotten sidetracked this whole campaign
0: all
1: right we're gonna take a quick break and actually talk about that very topic among other things uh, from our listener mailbag
4: let's take a moment to thank and share a message from our sponsor AMC's turn Washington's spies It's 1778 and there's only one fate that awaits a captured spy, the hangman's noose. This season builds towards one of the most notorious moments in American history, the treasonous defection of Benedict Arnold. The price for treason is blood, and not all of our heroes will survive. All new season returns this Monday at 10, 9 central on AMC. All right,
1: we are back, and uh, before we go to listener mail, we would like to give a shout out to yeah. a real live human listener who came to NPR today. Yes, I missed that. Well, we well, anyway, it
2: was, really nice, it was very nice guy. He was really nice for us. Joseph to- Martarella, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thank you for swinging by. We're glad to have you as a fan.
1: All right, now let's open up some mail, <laughs> virtually, of course, because well, you know, uh, a couple <laughs> of weeks ago, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we got a note from Max in Guatemala today. We have a note from Max on an island off the coast of Norway. Different Max. That's the
2: same Max just trolling us.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And and this Max tells us that he listens while gazing at the fjords. Yeah. Here's his question. What happened to the RNC's soul-searching analysis that the GOP must rethink their approach toward immigrants and minorities if they're to stay politically viable? Has Trump trumped these RNC concerns of 2012. Of course, Domenico, he is asking about the so-called autopsy after the 2012 election.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's gotten sidetracked. I mean, there's two things at play here. You know, you have the RNC, which is concerned about this from a top-down way, trying to think about how the party should change. And then you had Donald Trump and you had the primary electorate. And Donald Trump was able to tap into something that didn't really care as much about the future of the Republican Party as they are about the concerns that they feel like they have toward government and toward a lot of other different things. And uh, that has definitely been sidetracked. And Trump's rhetoric is something that Democrats believe will help them win in November.
1: And Sarah, Ted Cruz is tapping into the same thing, right?
0: Well, for sure. And uh, I mean, I think to the larger question, This is something that a lot of Republicans are still concerned about. I mean, and this is why we have people saying there are maybe two Republican parties, maybe five Republican parties. I mean, there's a lot of different uh, factions right now and, and people who want different things. And the faction that's winning is is the Trump faction.
1: And we have another letter here from 13 year old Caden, who wrote to ask. So I was wondering, could Joe Biden be vice president again or is it a two term max kind of deal?
3: Well, this is a kind of geek question that I love because uh, I didn't know the answer, embarrassingly. So I went and looked it up. And uh, no, actually, Joe Biden could be vice president for life if he wanted to be and if he got put on the ticket of each of the candidates that wound up winning. I mean, Article two was created in the Constitution that set forward the terms of the executive branch. It created guidelines as factcheck.org found for how long an individual can serve as president, limiting a commander in chief for two full terms or up to 10 years if a vice president assumed the presidency and held that top office for less than two years of his or her own presidential terms. But that does not mean that they can't serve out, you know, for the rest of uh, eternity, essentially. Now, it's never happened. And I assume if it did happen, somebody would probably go in and change a law.
1: Okay, John from Ohio had a question about a specific bribery law in Ohio, which is apparently very broad. Well, in Ohio,
3: they actually have this code uh, in the section 359901, actually, that says that you're not allowed to bribe anyone. You can't bribe a delegate. It was actually created in 1871 ahead of the 1874 convention for the 1876 election. <laughs> so they created this law, but how anyone would be prosecuted under it would certainly be a difficult thing. It even says that somebody who makes the bribe as the candidate would no longer be eligible to be president. So, you know, federal statute there would certainly overtake.
1: And this is important, of course, because the the, the Republican convention is going to be in Cleveland this summer and there's lots of potential delegate sweetening yeah. that could happen.
3: I think there's already a federal statute in place that prevents bribery. Okay.
1: Okay. Uh... And now it is time for Can't Let It Go, where we all share something that we just can't stop thinking about this week, politics or otherwise. Sarah, what you got?
0: Okay, so this week, of course, I was in New York for the primary. And on Sunday, uh, Staten Island was the scene of a Donald Trump event. Um, While there, I was very focused on, you know, doing my work (laughs) and as everything. So I'm, you know, thinking about my recording levels and all this behind the scenes stuff that goes into doing what we do. So I didn't notice until the event was over and I was like listening back to my tape this song about Donald Trump that I had never heard anywhere before.
2: The job market's slow and you got nowhere to go. Aww. Who can you turn to but the Donald? That's a funky bass. Is that got you down, there's no money.
1: <laughs> <Who can you laughs> it It's
3: big in the 70s So
0: who can you turn to but the Donald So this song actually was what he walked on stage to And walked off at this Republican brunch on Staten Island I dug around a little bit And found out that it was written by a couple of local guys Jay Reinhardt and Frank Gazento. They're big Trump fans They did a little jam session for me And you can find out more about it at NPR.org
2: <laughs>
3: It's no Beyoncé
1: <laughs> yeah so oh well speaking <laughs> speaking of Beyonce, <laughs> my thing that I can't let go is related to Beyonce and uh. yes, I, I know. Now I can't let Beyonce go. You know uh, So Hillary Clinton this week was on a morning zoo show uh, called the Breakfast Club. It's a, a African American audience targeted show
2: hosted by Charlemagne who is so funny.
1: Charlemagne' He's really good. And uh, they asked Hillary Clinton, what she always carries in her bag. What's something that you always carry with you? Hot sauce.
2: Really? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Are you getting information right now?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Hot sauce.
2: Hot sauce in my bag
4: swag? Hot sauce. Really? Really? Yes. Now listen,
2: I just want you to know, people are going to see this and say, okay, she's pandering to black people.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Is it working?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, So Twitter did blow up, and they did accuse her of pandering to black
2: people. Because of the song, Yes, okay, Formation. so
1: let us explain. Beyoncé has this song. It is called Formation. And in this song, Beyoncé repeats a lot that she has hot sauce in her bag.
2: Swag. I got hot sauce in
0: my bag. Swag. Swag. swag Ooh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. You don't think Hillary Clinton knew about that. Oh yeah. Like Everybody knew that. about that, right?
1: Well,
2: but it's but you know what though, in that moment in the interview, when they say, Hey, are you in formation? She didn't get it.
1: There was no look of recognition so recognition. I, I
2: actually don't think she put two and two together. I will I will mm. tell yeah, I don't I think she was sort of laughing to buy
3: time. Right? Yes. She didn't really know but I will just say that it's been well known or that she known that she used to carry a tiny bottle of Tabasco sauce around in her bag with her uh, on the trail and that she graduated to real hardcore hot peppers. This was revealed in our uh, interview that NPR's Ari Shapiro did with her earlier this year.
4: And yeah, we have some of that. Back when, you know my husband was running in uh, 92, I read an article about the special immune boosting uh, <laughs> characteristics of hot peppers. And I thought, well, that's interesting because, you know, campaigning is pretty demanding. And so I started adding hot peppers and then I got into eating them raw wherever they weren't really, really too hot. Um, And all I can tell you, knock on wood, is that um, maybe that's one of the reasons I'm so healthy and I have so much stamina and endurance out there today.
3: (laughs) We even <laughs> fact checked. We had a, NPR Food did a fact check on whether or not the, there were immune bu- boosting properties. Hands <laughs> on fire. And no, not quite. Not quite. They <laughs> there were some. It was sort of uh, a mixed. It was sort of mixed uh, on whether or not it's true. But it kind of I guess if it's in your head and you feel like that it would be, then then it you know can be good for you.
2: People yeah. of all races and ethnicities like spicy food or don't like spicy food. When did saying you like spicy food become pandering to a certain race? But I think I just, hot
1: sauce it, in the bag is a thing.
2: That is a thing, but I don't think she knew.
1: No, I think she, she just was completely clueless. I think she
2: carries hot sauce in her bag. And literally.
1: <laughs> she just <laughs> like does. Like, <she> literally <laughs> carries literally, hot sauce in her bag. She just she just carries hot sauce in her bag. I don't know bag. if I
2: would call it swag when she does it, but, like, she just has hot sauce in her bag.
1: Uh, Domenico, what can't you let go of?
2: Well,
3: mine's across the harbor from uh, Sarah's. Uh, We'll leave that music behind on the uh, Staten Island Ferry and head to Manhattan. And um, what I can't leave behind or I can't let go here is the fact that Donald Trump won every single county in New York state. And despite what Ted Cruz said that Manhattan has spoken, John Kasich actually won New York County, which is the island of Manhattan.
1: So the home of Trump Tower.
3: The home of Trump Tower. Wall Street—it's pretty amazing. You look at that map. If you—you know—it's a tiny little sliver, and John Kasich got that one tiny county. It has to annoy Donald Trump that the one place he lost in all of New York State is the place he lives.
1: Though you gotta say, like, that has got to be the least surprising thing ever—that Manhattan would go for John Kasich. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sam Sanders, what can't you let go of?
2: Harriet Tubman famed former slave and abolitionist it was announced this Wednesday by the Treasury Department that she will be the new face of the $20 bill seems like pretty good news
3: right yeah
2: but wait um, I wrote a piece today actually about how the story of Harriet Tubman and the new 20 over the course of one day went through the entire life cycle of internet phenomena (laughs) first it's good then we have doubts. Then it's bad. Then someone's offensive. And then the conversation goes off the rails and Beyonce gets tossed in there. Seriously. I'll explain. Yes, please. First there's the announcement and everyone's like, this is amazing. Well-deserved. There'd been a petition for months to get her on there. People were happy about it. Woman
1: on the $20 bill. Exactly. And awesome woman.
2: Yes. But then in just a few hours, folks were saying, I don't think it's awesome enough. Some folks said the picture of Harriet Tubman on the bill should have her carrying a gun because she was willing to fight by any means necessary. But did she carry the time. a gun? She carried a gun all oh, the time. So okay. they were like, make her more of a rebel on this bill. <laughs> then other folks were like... This is still not right because it turns out that Andrew Jackson, who a lot of folks don't like, will still be on the back of the bill. So folks were mad about that. And then a few hours after that, Ben Carson got online and said, well, maybe she should just be on the $2 bill. What? And Twitter threw a fit. Trump said the same thing the next day.
0: Why the $2
1: bill? I also
2: bill? saw
0: somebody say that, that she would not be happy to be on money, period, because That's the, the, the whole economic system Lots is Lots of people
2: said that it was really strange to have Harriet Tubman beyond the face of currency that was used to buy and sell her. So some folks said the entire thing was offensive. Then by the end of the day, Twitter had said, here are the top five women's names that showed up in tweets about the new 20. And of course, there were these great figures from history, but number four was Beyonce. (laughs) This is just the latest bit of evidence that shows that nothing can actually be good on the internet. Oh,
1: but come on.
2: Nothing.
1: Eventually there were pictures of the $20 bill with all kinds of other faces photoshopped onto it, including crying Michael Michael Jordan. Jordan. Crying Michael Jordan.
2: And also, um, before we go, gotta take it to kind of a sad note. Um, One of my musical icons, Prince, died today um, at his home. He was 57 years old. I can't tell you how much Prince meant to me and I'm sure all of you. Um, I saw him live about a year and a half ago. He played for five hours, had a Whoa. 12-piece horn section. Uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and thinking about him and his music and what he meant today, I was just really struck how much he was post-genre and post-race and post-classification so early in pop music. I mean, like, in the 80s, he was making music that wasn't black music, it wasn't white music, it wasn't rock, it wasn't pop, it wasn't R&B, it was everything. And part of that was because he was so genius. He could play the guitar as well as rock gods. Mm -hmm. He could sing better than R&B stars. He could move like James Brown and Michael Jackson. And he made all of it something that you or your mother wanted to dance to, right? And I'm just... I'm hurt today, I'm sad today, we lost a great one, out of the blue it felt like. Um, but if you are in D.C., I emailed our CEO today, Yarl and said we should change the lights on, on the big NPR tower to purple today to honor Prince. So if you drive by tonight uh, on our North Cap headquarters, you will see a tribute to the purple one. And we love you, Prince, we'll miss you.
1: All right, let's go out on some Prince. This is Purple Rain. And that's a wrap for the show. Thank you for listening. We'll be back Wednesday morning with a roundup of the big Tuesday night primaries, the Acela primary. Let's make it stick. And as always, you can find us all on Twitter. Send us your questions at nprpolitics at npr.org. We do read them all, even if we don't answer them all on the show. And you can get more political coverage at npr.org or on your local public radio station. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign.
2: I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor.
0: And I'm Sarah McCammon, campaign reporter. And
1: thank you all for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.